Lovely and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you? and for me why should we linger and heed not his mercies mercies for you and for me come home come home you who are weary come home earnestly tenderly Jesus is calling Calling, O oh sinner, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home. Come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Honestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We are here to rejoice and be glad in it. We are in the midst of a sermon series here at Cokesbury called the Jesus Prayer Book, in which every week we are taking a look at one of the Psalms that shows up in the Gospels. The Psalms, in, in many ways, were Jesus' favorite playlist. They were the songs he had in his head all the time, and he was able to use those to not only understand who he was, but he used them to help other people, even us, to understand who he was, who he is, and who he will forever be. Uh, 
I encourage you to pull up the online bulletin if that's helpful for you. The link for it is in the video description. There are a number of things that are going on in the life of our church. We have uh, Facebook Live videos we're putting out, email devotionals. You can read more through our church website or our Facebook page. We're going to continue to offer online worship for the foreseeable future until it's safe for us to be back together to worship in person. Now, in thinking about this series we're doing, uh, the Jesus Prayer Book, Jesus' Favorite Playlist, I've been encouraging people to write down in the, in the chat, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, um, some of the music you've been listening to recently, what's been on your playlist, uh, because our playlists also help to influence the way we think and understand and experience the world around us. In my family, in particular my son and I, we've been listening to a lot of cover songs. That is, we listen to songs uh, performed by bands that are not original to them. If you have Spotify, there's a great Spotify playlist just called Cover Songs, and you get to hear all kinds of songs that you might be familiar with, but you hear them either from a different voice or a different kind of tune, and I love that because that music to me, it makes me appreciate the original, of course, but then I get to hear it from a new dimension almost, and to me, that's kind of what Transfiguration is because today, guess what, is Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, across the great wide swath of the church, people are gathering together today to hear about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the last Sunday before we enter the season of Lent. Uh, transfiguration is, is a complete transformation. It is a change from one thing to another. Uh, I really like to think about cover songs in a way as helping us to see, know, and experience what the transfiguration is like because it gives us a moment to pause to re-examine what we think we know, what we think we've seen and heard, and to see it, hear it, and believe it from a new light. So this week, I encourage you to, uh, whether you know you have that kind of music at home or you have the access to Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Music or even just YouTube, look up some cover songs of perhaps your favorite song, and maybe you can hear it just slightly differently and then think about what transfiguration means for you, for me, and for the world. So with that, I'd like to encourage you now to be silent for a moment, to find a, a comfortable posture as we uh, sit silently before the Lord in preparation for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we confess, like your people Israel, that often we tire of being the chosen people. Could you not just leave us alone every once in a while? You know, sometimes this Christian stuff, it gets a bit much. Praying for our enemies, loving those who persecute us. Life goes on, and you know, Lord, we've got things to do. Yet unrelenting, you refuse to leave us alone. You are, after all, a zealous God. You startle us from our complacent lives by gathering us into not our kingdoms, but your kingdom, your church. May we, thus gathered in this way, be so inspired by your Spirit that our lives never tire, that we have the energy now to wait and to rest and to respond to the beauty of your truth for us and for the world. With that, O oh Lord, each of us will now lift up to you our own prayers of joy and concerns, whether silently or loud.
and as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As I noted at the beginning uh, of our service, we are in the midst of our sermon series, the Jesus Prayer Book, in which we're looking at a psalm that shows up in the Gospels. This week we're looking at Psalm 110, and we're also looking at Luke 20, 41 through 47. Hear now God's holy word. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sent out from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your foes. Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day you lead your forces on the holy mountain. From the womb of the morning, like dew, your youth will come to you. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter heads over the wide earth. He will drink from the stream by the path. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And now from Luke 20, 41 through 47. Then he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is David's son? For David himself says in the book of the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? In the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted in the, with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 370 from the United Methodist Hymnal, 370, Victory in Jesus. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in the online bulletin. So join me now over at the drums as I play and let's sing together, Victory in Jesus.
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A political movement turned radically violent very quickly. The mob stormed gates, they climbed walls, they destroyed doors, and they shattered any assumptions of safety and sanctity. Anyone who stood in their way was attacked, beaten to the ground, and left behind. The insurrectionists used whatever they could to turn their feelings into signs of force, from flags to banners to even their fists. Once inside, they searched methodically for those who represented what they came to destroy. They obliterated images and symbols that for centuries have stood the test of time. And outside, while the crowds chanted with frightening vigor, a sign was held high above for all to see. And on that sign were two words. Jesus saves. Sadly, what took place in and around the Capitol at the beginning of January was not as unprecedented as some have claimed. You know, throughout history, there have been countless examples of those who, who took matters into their own hands and did whatever they thought necessary they needed to do to bring about a change. And even sadder has been the use of Christian images and words and symbols to encourage such violent and destructive behavior. Before they started to throw objects through windows, members of the far-right alt-group, the Proud Boys, they were kneeling in the streets of Washington, D.C., praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Contemporary Christian music was played and performed in order to give a, a righteous feeling to a wholly unrighteous display of aggression. Among all the, the signs and the shirts, from the likes of QAnon and the Confederate flag and, and all these sorts of anti-Semitic fervor, there were an equal number of shirts and slogans and sides that said, Jesus 2020 and the armor of God is with us. All among the rioters, even pastors were present in the crowd that day, yelling into bullhorns about the mission to save the Republic for Christ, all while the throngs screamed in response, Jesus is Lord. In the great cacophony of Christianity, it contains multitudes. There's a reason there are more Christian denominations than we can keep track of because we cannot agree on what it means to keep the main thing the main thing. Part of this challenge stems from the fact that the Bible, what we take as an authority over what it means to follow Jesus, this book is a wild, wild thing. Not only are there different books within the book, they come from all sorts of different places, from, from Galilee to Galatia, from Antioch to Rome, from tiny towns and massive metropolises, rural farms and seaside ports, prisons, palaces, and they're all from a wider range of time, over 1,500 years of writing. 
The Bible contains just about every literary genre from, from law codes to genealogies to parables to poems, and it was put together by people that we don't know anything about. And yet, despite all of that, we lift up this bewildering book and we, this bewildering book, and we confess it to be the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so we take it up and we read, perhaps we flip right to the middle of the book and we come across a psalm and we find these words. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sent out from Zion your mighty scepter. The Lord is at your right hand. He will scatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. We read that. And some Christians will respond to those words by taking matters into their own hands, by making their own enemies into their footstool. They will claim that God is on their side, that they are the righteous messengers of God's judgment and justice. While others, of course, will dismiss a psalm like Psalm 110 as being connected to the so-called violent God of the Old Testament. They will insist their God wants everyone to just get along, to, to let love rule. But here's the thing. The strange new world of the Bible, it tells a story of the God who is always the one who bends and breaks the bonds of creation in order to get what God wants. And it's not always pretty. The God of Scripture sends a flood to wipe out every living being, except for a few who fortunately catch a ride on a very large boat. God breaks down a tower in order to confuse our speech and scatters humanity across the earth. God hardens Pharaoh's heart in order uh, to, to have his own means achieved. And then he tosses Pharaoh and his riders into the sea. I could go on with lots of examples. Thus, for centuries... Some people have embraced the violence of God for their own purposes, or they have rejected that God in order to embrace something they believe they can find in the hippy-dippy, lovey-dovey God of the New Testament. But that's not, that's not how the Bible works. You know, for as righteously angry as God gets in the Old Testament, God is equally ridiculous in loving a people undeserving. God rains down manna from heaven to feed those who just a moment before had been complaining about God. God brings back an idolatrous nation after years in captivity in Babylon. God remains faithful to the covenant that God's people fail again and again to hold up. And for as much as God is love revealed in Christ in the New Testament, God is equally filled with bitterness. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus says. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers, Jesus says, after going off the deep end with a temple tantrum. If any of you cause someone else to stumble, Jesus says, it would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were dumped into the ocean. This is Jesus. And truthfully, though we confess Jesus as Lord with our lips, most of us live as if we are the lords of our lives. We do this, whether we could articulate or not, because we generally believe that history is developing. It's an ongoing process of progress. That is, we believe the world is better now than it once was, and that all of us are responsible for making better for future generations. We believe in the power of the the human spirit, the, the human will. With all of our enlightened sensibilities, we assume, sooner or later, we will finally get the the chaos of the cosmos under control, and we will set everything as it should be. That's why so many sermons end with what I call a lettuce statement. Let us now go forth to make the world a better place. Or, frighteningly, let us now go to save the republic. 
for Jesus. But here's the thing. If we could have made the world a better place, if we could have made the world the best place, we would have done it a long, long time ago. The challenge for those who wish to follow Jesus is the confession that even though things might appear to be better, whatever that might mean, we are still very much who we've always been. Sinners in need of grace. The question-answer period of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, it ends after a whole bunch of controversy regarding authority. And it ends with Jesus asking his own question. There's disagreement among the religious leaders, the elites, about this would-be carpenter-turned-messiah who claims to be from the line of David. Now, at the time, David-like dimensions of messianic expectation were a dime a dozen. Every time a new political leader showed up on the scene, garnered some power, it was assumed that, like David, he, because it was always a he, would take back the throne in Jerusalem. The Messiah, to the religious authorities, would be the one to save the people Israel through a new military regime that would put the people of God back on top. But for Jesus, this was not acceptable. Therefore, being the the good teacher that he was, Jesus uses scripture to interpret the present circumstances. How can it be, Jesus asks, for the Messiah to be David's son? Don't you all remember what David wrote in the Psalter? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David called him Lord, if David called the Messiah Lord, then how can he be David's son? I know this might seem like a a really trivial point of order, but for Jesus, on the basis of this psalm, the Messiah is not merely from the line of David. In fact, the Messiah is the Lord of David. Jesus then is not just another revolutionary come to set the people free from tyrannical oppression. Jesus is God in the flesh, come to dwell among the very people who will, spoiler warning in the end, betray him, abandon him, and crucify him. Jesus is Lord. It's been a confession of faith since the very beginning of the church. And today, Christian types will take that confession to mean something to the effect of, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And even though that's true, it's also so much more than that. For to confess Jesus as Lord is also to confess that Jesus is God. And Jesus, as God, is going to get what Jesus wants. Jesus will make his enemies his footstool, whether we like it or not. Again and again in the New Testament, Jesus announces the imminent implementation of a new regime but it's not the one that people are prepared for because they've, they've assumed that Jesus, Messiah, is coming with a military victory, a parade of power, a new throne. Instead, they were told about a kingdom, yes, that will be new, but it's one in which the rich would give to the poor. The captives would be set free. The lame would walk again, and the blind they would see which, all things considered, wasn't anything really new. Those words come from the prophet Isaiah. So do you see, God doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New. There's not some God of the Old Testament over there and a different God in the New Testament over here. They are one and the same. They are Trinity. God in Christ puts the enemies, yes, of sin and death, the powers and principalities, squarely under the heel of the divine. But it happens in ways that no one could have imagined. 
a suffering Messiah who's enthroned at the right hand of God. The incarnate Lord dies on a cross to be raised again. No one expected that would happen. A Lord who calls his followers to pray for their enemies, to sell their possessions in order to help the poor to lose their lives in order to save them? Who is this odd God? Well, it's Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, God in the flesh. And God in Christ is always more than we think. You know, in our limited and finite and frankly foolish notions of how things work, we assume that power is demonstrated in strength. But Jesus comes to show us that real power, it actually comes in weakness. We assume our job is to make the world look more like us, but Jesus comes to conquer and overcome the world. We assume that if we just work hard enough, we can set everything the way it's supposed to be. But Jesus shows up to remind us that we, all of us, are sinners. Jesus, Jesus is not just some ethical teacher who wants us to behave ourselves. Jesus is not some political revolutionary whose words we can cherry pick to suit our own needs. Jesus is not a new David come to elevate us to the places of power and prestige. Jesus is God. In himself, he is the new creation. So when we open up the strange new world of the Bible, when we read about the Lord in the Psalms, the Lord who brings victory, we are reading about Jesus. But his victory comes not as we expect. Jesus, his victory comes by taking our sins and our misery upon himself, taking our sins away from us, nailing them to the cross, and leaving them there forever. He is able to do this not only because he's the Messiah, but because he is God, the Almighty, the Creator, and the Lord of heaven and earth who knows me and you better than we know ourselves. It's Jesus who brings the victory. Jesus comes to save the world and us from ourselves. Jesus brings the victory. Not you, not me. Only Jesus saves. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you revealed to the disciples the everlasting glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us who have not seen and yet believe the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we may boldly live the gospel and shine with your transfiguring glory as people changed and changing through the redeeming presence and the victory of our Savior, your Son, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word. And now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our effort, our prayers, but also with the gifts of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. Uh, you may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or you may give if you live locally by bringing your offering here to the church. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a place that proclaims the victory of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus has overcome the world. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. 
So join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'd now like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that Jesus saves, that Jesus saves us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you next week, same time, same place, to hear more of Jesus' favorite playlist through the Jesus Prayer Book, the Psalms, so we can jam, rejoice, and know that the victory has come for us. Go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, amen. Sing my sing.